We are going into the fifth and final book of the Psalms, which have been titled Songs of Revival. And uh, last week, um, I shared a little bit of my own testimony with you. I want to tell you a little bit more about my journey with Christ. But when I asked Jesus into my heart that, that night, um, I realized that was only the first step. And, and for me, it was a big step because I hadn't grown up in the church and I didn't really know anybody that called themselves a Christian or even went to church. And um, I was kind of stuck. I didn't know what to do. What do I do now? Um, I also realized that a lot of my thinking probably more likely was incorrect. All, all that I had thought, ever thought about God and the things that I had learned in, in studying with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and reading different books, uh, Eastern religions and whatnot, um, uh, I, di I didn't really know where to go. And, and then as I was thinking about this, I, I thought, you know, I, I've read their material. I've read The Watchtower and I've read... Uh, the Book of Mormon and uh, Doctrine of Covenants and all, all that kind of stuff. And, and I thought, well, if I've, if I've read their stuff, I might as well read the Bible. And so I, uh, I began doing that. And, um, I, you know, if you remember when you first became a Christian and you tried to read the Bible, um, it didn't take long for me to get bogged down. You know, I... I didn't know where to go. I, I thought, well, I'll read it like a book and start in Genesis. And, and after the first few chapters of Genesis, it's like, whoa, you know, and flip into a few chapters later, a few books later, and you come across things like Leviticus and Numbers and stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? I, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know anything about it. So I found it really difficult. And I found it not only difficult to understand, but just difficult to, to, to really um, think about, and, and, and how was this important to my life? And um, as, I, as I thought about these things, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, I was actually praying. I, I was thinking, you know, God, I, I, know, I know I've asked you into my life, and I, I know you exist, but man, if this is your book, I, you've got to help me out here. And I didn't even realize I was, I was kind of praying through that. And, and so um, I, I began reading in the New Testament. And uh, the only reason I could think of why I, I opened up to Matthew was, well, the New Testament is, is where you find Jesus. And, and that's who I asked into my life. And so I wanted to learn more about Jesus. And uh, eventually, as I worked my way through the New Testament, I came across 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 which says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And verse 17 says that it, it, it's there in order to give, give us everything we need to do good works. So I, I thought about that verse, and I, and I thought, okay, so... This verse is saying that all scripture, so the Bible, 
is profitable, which means it's, it's worthwhile reading. It's, it's worth something. Uh, but it corrected and it instructed and it trained in righteousness. And, and I thought, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for because I've got no idea what I'm doing, but I've got all this junk that's been given to me and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. And, you know, as I went back and read over some of the previous um, Gospels and, and other portions of Scripture, I, I also found John chapter 14, verse 21. And it says there that he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And it goes on and says, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And I thought, oh, okay. So it's not just simply a matter of, of reading the Bible. You have to actually apply that to your life. And Jesus says that if you love me, you will do this. And he not only says, not only will I love you, but my Father will love you. And then I will come and I will manifest myself to you. I will show myself to you. Well, that's exactly what I was looking for. I wanted to know God. Now, everything that I'd heard from different people, you know, you know God's an exalted human being. You know, uh, Jesus is the, the, the spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, Jesus is Michael the archangel. Um, you know, Buddha and Jesus are the same. Uh, you know, all this stuff was going through my mind. And I, and I thought, okay, I need to get into um, the truth. But then, then something else happened. I found myself asking these questions and, and coming to these realizations, but I came to a crossroads because there were, there were things in Scripture that were really easy to understand. Love God, love Jesus, love your neighbor. Um, but then there were other things that I just really scratched my head at, and I thought, okay, what do I do with this? You know, um, somebody walking on water, like, Really? I've never seen anybody walk on water. What about raising from the dead? Or healing a blind man of, you know, so he has a sight again. And, you know, I, I, I had to think about these things. And I thought, okay, well, okay, I know, I know God exists. I know Jesus is real. I believe his word is the truth. But what in the word is true and what isn't? You know, because you're told that, it's just written by man, and these are just ideas about God and so on and so forth. And yet, I had had a conversion experience which really made me realize that I had been exposed to the truth, and I wanted to know the truth. And so, as I'm thinking about what do I do with these scriptures that just don't seem to make sense to me, I realized that I had to make a decision. Either the Bible was all true, or none of it was true. I, I couldn't... I couldn't um, get myself to say, well, okay, those things I understand are true and the things that I, I struggle with, mm, you know, maybe true, probably aren't true. Or some of the things contained in Scripture are true and, and other things aren't true. Because that, to me, that didn't make any logical sense. Because how was I supposed to determine what was true and what wasn't true? You know, if, if there's one thing that I learned in my, in my journey in life uh, up until age 28 when I accepted Christ in my life, I knew that my thinking and my feelings weren't true. 
necessarily. I, I was often led astray by what I thought was right, and it turned out to be wrong, and the things that I thought were wrong turned out to be right, and you know what I'm talking about. And so I, I determined that I was going to read the Word of God, and I was going to accept it as true. Even if I didn't understand it, even if I couldn't explain it, everything that I read in Scripture was true. And as I began to, to read through the Scriptures, um, I came across uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Well, to me, that was just like a revelation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, when I, when I trust in someone, I, I don't necessarily know if they know what they're talking about, but I, I have to put my, my faith in them, you know, when I get on an airplane, I put my faith in the pilot. Not necessarily the aircraft, but I put my faith in the pilot. Right? And, and here, here I was being told to trust in God. And that's, that's what I decided to do. And you know what I've learned over the years? I've learned that that verse is 100% true. And not only that verse, but every verse in Scripture is true. From Genesis 1-1 right to the end of Revelation. I've, I've, never, I've never looked back. I've never questioned it, you know. And, and I, I admit, you know, maybe you, you'll disagree with me on this, but I, I'm a literalist. I take Scripture literally, okay? I, I don't have a choice. If this is God's Word, then it's true. And it has to be true, all of it, even when I don't understand it. And, you know, here I am 30-some-odd years later, and I still don't fully understand Scripture, but I'm eager to find out. And I'm going to continue my walk with the Lord in reading and studying and memorizing his word. And then eventually I came to Psalm 119. And I, I just love this psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms. We're going to take a look at it tonight. Um, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And guess what? It's about the Bible. And wouldn't you expect the longest chapter in the Bible to be about the Bible? I mean, there's so much that we need to know about the Bible. And it's so important for our lives. And chapter 119 tells us that. It speaks about God's commandments and judgments and precepts and statutes. It calls itself the way. Who else called himself the way? Jesus. The word of God is the way. It speaks about the way, Jesus Christ. It also calls itself the word. I remember Brent a few weeks ago talking about how they used to talk. You know, if something was, was true, was right, they'd say, word. Isn't that, isn't that right? Word. Man, it's, it's the word of God. You know, I just, I just really kind of had to snicker that when, you know, when, when Brent mentioned that. I thought, yeah, it's so true. You know, it's word. Now, this psalm has a very interesting structure. It's divided into... 22 sections, and each section begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each section has eight verses. So it's really interesting how God has laid this all out, and it just speaks truth from the very beginning, verse 1, all the way to the end. And 
it instructs us, you know, as Paul said, profitable for instruction in righteousness. It instructs us um, that God's word refreshes us. It revitalizes us. It renews our spirits. And the key verse is probably verse 9. Would you take a look at that with me? Verse 9. And it says there, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Isn't that interesting? How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Now, the word translated heed is the Hebrew word shemar. And that means to keep or to guard or to observe. So how can a man or a woman, young or old, new or longtime believer, cleanse their way? By keeping, guarding, and observing the word of God. And I want you to remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who hears my word and keeps it, it is he who loves me. I think that's so important. When we look at uh, the word of God, when we are looking at Psalm 119 tonight. So if you, if you love Jesus, then you will love his word. And you will, you will keep his word. Verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 119 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. So the psalm begins immediately with blessing. And we know from our studies with Pastor Brent and uh, Marlon mentioned it on Sunday as well, that, that blessing or blessed means happy. And I remember so clearly in the first few years as the word began to come alive to me, how happy I was. I drove, I drove Glenda nuts. I would come home from work at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I would grab my Bible and I would sit on the couch and I would just begin to read where I was, where I'd left off the, the night before. And anytime I saw something that just leapt from the pages to me, I'd say, oh, Glenda, do, do you realize, do you realize what it says here? Do you understand? You know, oh, she was so upset with me. She said to me one night, she said, if I, if I had known I was going to get involved with a zealot, I would have walked the other way. Oh, man, I felt like I'd just been hit in the face. And I, I kind of slunk away, went to my room, and I, and I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't get it. I'm so excited. I want to share it with my wife. And she's upset. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Pete, I love you. But I love Glenda, too. And I want you both to come to an understanding of who I am. Give her time. You're running ahead. And so from that point on, I, I just kind of backed off. I would still read the Bible. I would read it at lunch. I would come home. I would go into my room and read it. And I, I wouldn't trouble her any, anymore until she had caught up and, and the Lord began to work in her life. And we haven't looked back since. 
God is so good. He will bless you. He will keep you from being undefiled. It goes on, it says, Do no iniquity, walk in his ways, verse 3. Keep his precepts diligently, verse 4. Keep his statutes, verse 8. Do not wander from his commandments, verse 10. Hide his word in your heart, verse 11. Meditate on his precepts and contemplate his ways, verse 15. Delight. I mean, is is that a word we need to use more? Hey, delight. What are you delighting in today? Delight in his statutes. Do not forget his word, verse 16. This this psalm, right from the very beginning, tells us how important it is to make the word of God a part of our lives. Not just on Sundays, not just occasionally, but each and every day. It's so important. It's where where we find life, because Jesus Christ is life. And the word of God is about Jesus Christ. You remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16? That God's word is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine means God's word is advantageous. It means truth. It means teaching with the purpose of of imparting truth to us. There's so many people running around today, like Pontius Pilate, what is truth? Where do I find truth? Well, truth is what you make it. Your truth is not necessarily my truth. My truth is not necessarily your truth. Not true. The word of God is truth. And this world needs to hear truth. Paul also says it's for instruction in righteousness. But then he also writes in Romans 12, That God's word transforms and renews us. And I was at a point in my life, man, I needed not only renewing, but I needed transforming. I didn't like who I was. And I've, I've met many Christians over the years who have told me that they're not... They're not able to read the Word of God. They just can't seem to, to understand it. You know, and one of, one of the ones that, uh, that spoke to me in this regard was, was my dad. Because when I was looking for my own way or seeking God, my mom and dad had come to Christ and had been born again. But my dad always struggled with the Scriptures. And so we would talk about it. And he says, I just, I don't get it. Now, you have to understand something. My, my parents were immigrants. We immigrated from the Netherlands in 1967. His English was not very good. He had a, but a great six education. So most of our Bible translations are, are written for ooh, middle school, high school. Um, other ones are, are college level. But, you know, there, there are translations and um, paraphrases that are written in a much lower level of English, grade four, grade five, grade six. And one day I was in a Christian bookstore and I happened to spot the, the new children's version. I think it was called the new children's version. And um, I opened it up and I, I read a couple of things and I thought, hey, this, this seems pretty easy. And I gave it to my dad. Well, he, he, he was changed. Like he couldn't believe that he was actually reading the word of God and understanding it. So. 
what I'm, what I'm saying in this, if you're here tonight and you're having trouble, you're, you're struggling understanding either the, the New King James or the NIV or NASB or New Living Translation, don't give up. Look into you know, the kids' Bibles. And as your understanding grows, God will give you the ability to read more difficult translations. You know, and that's, that's what it's all about. We're, we're all about learning, right? I mean, when we go into kindergarten, we learn our ABCs. We're not given, we're not given Romeo and Juliet. We're, we're given our ABCs and our one, two, threes. When we get into elementary school, we're learning mathematics, one plus one, one times two, one whatever, divided by whatever. We're not given physics. We're not given algebra. We have to grow through our, our understanding, and that's what, what God does as, as well. And I was told a long time ago that nothing worthwhile is easy. I mean, that's part of, part of growing up. That's part of learning. You try more and more difficult things. And then as you learn those, you, you keep learning, you keep growing, you keep stretching. Take a look at verse 18. Look what it says there. It says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Now look at the end of verse 26. Teach me your statutes. And then verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wondrous works. Now, last Wednesday, I mentioned to you one of my, my favorite psalms is Psalm 65 because it has a name of God there that is so, to me, so special. It, it calls God, you, oh, you who hear prayer. Oh, you who hear prayer. You know, that, that's, that's our Father who is in heaven as Jesus taught us to pray. He would never teach us to pray to someone who might hear prayer or eh, couldn't care less if he heard prayer. No, he is the God who hears prayer. So make it a practice before you begin reading in the scriptures, when you begin your study in the scriptures, to just bow a moment in prayer. Just ask the Lord to illuminate his word, to explain the difficulties, but also be ready for God to say, not yet. In a while. First this. And I have found so, it's so beneficial that when I read the scriptures as I'm praying to God that I ask him questions. What does this mean? Why is this important to me? What, are, what do I need to do with this? How do I apply this in my life? Why do I need to know this now? Is this for today or is it maybe for some time later? Is there someone I need to go and seek for forgiveness? I'm always reading through the scriptures trying to really understand them. And, and I ask the question of the author. Why did you write this? Who was it written to? And you can see the psalmist doing this. Because he prays to God to make his understanding sure. He, uh, he asks God to explain things to him that he doesn't fully understand. He says he meditates on the word. Now, <clears throat> I think that's really important. 
but we have to understand what God means by meditation. It, it's not like you're, you're taught or you've heard uh, in Eastern religions where you have to empty your mind. No, no, God wants you to fill your mind with his spirit. He wants you to fill your mind with his word. That's how we meditate on, uh, upon the word, which is the reason why memorizing scripture is so important to the growth and well-being and, and yeah, welfare of a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a babe in Christ or if you're an old guy like me in Christ. Scripture memory is so important because you can carry that scripture with you through the day and you can meditate on it. You know, and, and he, will, he will lead you in paths of righteousness. And, you know, like, if you're like me at all, you're going to blow it in a day. And then that scripture is going to come back and say, hey, remember this? No, this is why you need to know that. <clears throat> the psalmist also experienced difficulties. Anybody here never experienced difficulties? Hey, that's life, right? Like the Italians say, c'est la vie. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we have to, we have to be um, punched down because of our difficulties. The psalmist experienced difficulties. Look at verse 25. He says, my mind clings to the dust. I mean, he is down. He is down in the dirt. He's not feeling very good. But what did he need? He needed to be revived according to God's word. Look at verse 28. He says, my soul melts from heaviness. That's how, how heavy his situation was. He's down in the dirt. His heart is melting from heaviness. Have you ever felt that way? I, I have. It's, it's, that's how I felt the night that I asked Christ in my heart. So what did you do about it? The psalmist found his answer in praying through God's word. He says, strengthen me according to your word. Not according to my feelings, not according to my thoughts. Strengthen me according to your word. He also struggled with lying. None of us have that problem, I know. So he asked God to grant him the law graciously, verse 29. He also struggled with looking at worthless things. Verse 37. He asked to be revived through the word. The Bible taught him how to answer those who reproached him. Verse 42. He learned liberty or freedom through God's word. What did we just sing? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Oh, that we would learn freedom, that we would learn liberty. He discovered that the word gave him life, verse 50. He thought about his ways, and he turned his feet to God's testimonies, verse 59. And this is the thing, folks. When, when God's word disagrees with your thinking, change your thinking. Don't change the word of God. Let's jump ahead to verse 101. This is Bible 101. The psalmist found that keeping God's word did what? Kept his feet from every evil way. Not some, 
but every evil way. The word was a lamp unto his feet and a light to his path, verse 105. Look now at verse 128. I know we're kind of rushing through this, but... Verse 128, he discovered, as I believe all men and women who study, study God's word can discover, even as I've testified tonight, I have discovered, therefore all your precepts concerning what? All things, amen. All things, everything I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Oh, I think back at what I thought I knew. You know, I thought, you know, I've got it made. I, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm intelligent. I, I know what I want in life. I'm going to go out and get it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And it all just blew apart. I felt like a complete failure. I needed to learn to be simple, not think I knew it all. And then he says in verse 133, look at it. Oh, what a prayer. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. We don't, we don't need to have sin have dominion over us, but we need to have our steps directed by God's word because the word of God is like a map showing the way to our destination. I like to fish. I like to go into the back country. I've got a, I've got a Jeep. I go on, on dirt roads. I would never go back into the back country without a map. I have a GPS, but even they fail. I carry a map with me. If I have an area where I don't have a map, I go and buy one. I, I want to know where I'm going, but more importantly, I want to know how I can get out. So why do we still struggle with sin? I've asked myself that a lot of myself. Why, why do I struggle with sin? Does anybody else struggle with sin? Yeah, I see. Yeah, I know. And it's, a, you know, it's okay. You can ask the question, why do I struggle with sin? Well, I want to I say, are we being directed by his word? Are we being directed by his word? Do we, do we understand? Do we comprehend that Christ has won freedom for us? He has won freedom for us. Do we understand through God's word that the way of sin is no longer before us and that we have been set free from sin? Uh, did you catch that? We have been set free from sin? We're not free of sin. We're free from sin. And there's a difference. We're, we're going we're gonna to mess up. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to twist an ankle, metaphorically speaking. But sin no longer has a dominion over us because we've been set free from sin. The wages of sin is death. Death no longer has a hold on us. We have eternal life 
Oh, we still die physically. But every one of us who calls on the name of Jesus Christ is an eternal being. I joked last, whoop, I joked, I joked last week about, um, about having a birthday coming up, getting older. And, you know, physically, I'm, I'm going to be 61 in just a few days, but spiritually, I'm eternal. Death no longer has a hold of us. Paul says, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. But we need to learn what righteousness is. Righteousness is not what I think righteousness is or what you think righteousness is. Righteousness is what God says righteousness is. And God's word is our instruction manual. It teaches truth. It reproves us. And when, it reproves us when we need reproving. It corrects us when we need correction. And it instructs us in the way of righteousness. Verse 140 of our text says, Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. So do you struggle with sin? If you do, then become a lover of God's word. Because he's going to set your feet on the path of righteousness. And it's an everlasting righteousness, according to verse 142. And so the psalmist says, I will keep your statutes... I just want to keep my eye on the time here. Um, he says, I will keep your statutes, verse 145. I will keep your testimonies, 146. I will rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word, verse 40, 147. I meditate on your word, verse 148. And look what the psalmist says in verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, but they do not seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. We don't need to beat ourselves up when we stumble and fall. We just need to go before the Lord. You know, that's the thing, guys. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Are you in Christ today? You're a new creation. What happened yesterday? You just move on. And every day, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Because I'm in Christ. Verse 167 he says, my soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. The psalmist considered God's word of vital importance in his ability to be able to walk righteously with the Lord. And then he ends the psalm at verse 176, and he leaves us with another thought of encouragement. I mean, this, this psalm from verse 1 right to 176 has just been one encouragement after another. And he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And sometimes that's the way it is. 
We stumble and fall because of, of sin or whatever. We feel lost. We feel rejected. But that is far from the truth. The truth is, is that the Lord loves you. He loves you. He loves the sheep. Jesus, the great high shepherd. And though we may go astray at times, like, like sheep do, the Bible says that he seeks us and he carries us. Imagine that. The Lord carrying you. Like, like a father with, with a baby or with a small child. That's one thing I really enjoyed about being a dad was when my kids were, were small, being able to pick them up and toss them in the air and wee, you know. I mean, that's the way it is with the Lord. Oh, you stumble and fell, no problem. Pick you up, wee. Ah, oh, that's our God, our Father in heaven. Now, we've only touched on bits and pieces of this amazing psalm, and I, I really encourage you, you know, this, this week until next Wednesday, why don't, you, why don't you take some time and read through it, meditate through it, maybe highlight, underline some things. Ask questions about the things that you're highlighting and underlying. Get to know uh, this psalm and, and what it speaks about the importance of, of, uh, of the scriptures. So let's move on now. We'll go to Psalm 139. Now, if Psalm 119 was a psalm about the importance of the word in our lives, then Psalm 139 is about the importance of having a right understanding of who God is. That's so important. It's important that we know his ways, his laws, his character, and so forth. And David, who is the author of this psalm, he says in verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. David is, is telling us something about God that is so important for us to, to realize is that he is omniscient. And that's a, a fancy word meaning he knows everything. Did you know that? That God knows everything? Well, you do now. He knows everything about everything. There isn't anything that he doesn't know. He knows us inside out. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows you. And... You know, when I first began discovering this myself, I thought, he knows everything about me? Oh, I'm in a lot of trouble. That's before I, I understood grace. Well, I don't, I don't mind people knowing some stuff about me, but there's really some deep, dark, down-in-the-skin kind of stuff that I don't want anybody to know about. He knows even those things. You can't hide from him. He knows you. Oh, my goodness. Um... Matter of fact, he, he knows everything about us before we can even formulate a thought. Now, explain that to me. Before I've even thunk it, he knows it? Yeah, he does. David says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I mean, as David, as, as brilliant as he was, as wonderful as he was able to write uh, the words that he wrote, he thought about these things and he says, man, I just can't understand that. It's just beyond me. It's amazing. David next considers God's omnipresence. And that means 
God's ability to be everywhere at once. Look at verses 7 and 8. He writes, Where can I go? Where can I flee? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. I don't know about you, but I find this staggering when I think about that. You mean, I, not only do you know everything about me, but I can't go anywhere without you being there? I mean, all, all those days and weeks and months and years when I was living my life for myself, thinking, where are you? Why have you gone away? You actually weren't gone, but you were there with me? Wow. God is also omnipotent or almighty. Consider verses 13 through 16. David writes, You formed me. You covered me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. My frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your days are written the books fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. And that's... Amazing. I mean, and we often, you know, use these verses about the miracle of birth. How, how a baby is knit cell by cell in the, in the safety of its mother's womb. But, but it's speaking about us as well. Everything about us, fearfully, wonderfully made. From our hairy heads to our callous toes. He, he watches over us. He looks over uh, after us. And, and what's staggering about this is that the realization when you read scripture is that he knew everything about you before you were even made. I mean, that, that, that's just, well, too wonderful to comprehend. His power is at work in you, even as it is at work in all of creation. Now, God is also obedient, and maybe that's not a word you've heard before, but it means that God loves you so much that he lowered himself in order to have a relationship with you. Now, if I was God, I don't, I mean, think about you, you know, as a human being. You look down, you see a bunch of ants crawling around. Would you consider, oh, I want to know about them and get them to know me, I'll become an ant? No, but God did that. God lowered himself because he loves us so much just so that he could care for us. So imagine this, this all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God of creation is so mindful of us that he has taken an interest in our lives. And Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. This God made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming to the like or coming in the likeness of men. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
God incarnate, God in the flesh, God leaving the abode of deity and coming down to an anthill in order to have relationship with us ants. I mean, if, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what, what will. But the, but the God, the creator of the universe, had you in mind before he even formed it. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. Just prior to that moment, when all creation leapt into existence over six days, God already had you in mind. We were on his heart. We were on his mind. And he knew everything about us. He knew what we would say and what we would do, how we would act and whether we would have brown eyes or blue eyes or be tall or short or male or female. He knew everything about us. Isn't it wonderful when we are low, you know, when we are in a, in a blue moment? Isn't it wonderful when someone comes alongside and lifts up our spirits and says, I'll pray for you. That's wonderful. I know, I know it's meant a lot to me when I've had some of you come and, and I want to pray for you, Pete, and pray for me. But look at verse 17. Look what David says. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Imagine this God of who I'm speaking, this this all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God saying, I think of you, not all of us. No, I think of you and you and you and you. All the time, individual thoughts about you. All the time. So much more than there are grains of sand. How how I could ever have thought on that night that I was alone. I just didn't know. I want to close our study in the Psalms with Psalm 150, 150. So after we've seen how great and amazing God is, isn't it, don't, don't you think it's deserving then that we end our time together um, with a look at praise? But why, why we should praise? This final Psalm focuses on praise. It uses the word, it's the Hebrew word hallelujah, praise the Lord. 13 times in just six verses. It talks about where and how we should praise the Lord. Everywhere. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his acts. Praise him for his excellent greatness. That's how the psalm begins. So we are... We are told then that we are to praise him with music, with various instruments. But 
what if you don't play an instrument? Can't you praise the Lord? Well, sure you can. Even as we can praise him with loud cymbals and clashing cymbals, if you can't praise or play an instrument, you can still praise him with your breath. Praise him with your voice, the sound of your voice. And the psalm concludes with what? Another hallelujah. Pastor Brent began our study in Psalms with Psalm 1. And it's, it's a psalm of encouragement to make God and his word our anchor. And then we see how Psalms concludes with a symphony of praise. You see, God is both the reason and the purpose why we exist. I, re I remember asking myself before I became a Christian, why am I here? What am, what am I even doing here? Well, now I know. Psalm 150 declares it without doubt. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't, isn't the God that we have the privilege of, of praying with and being with and walking with and, and sharing, isn't he amazing? Isn't he wonderful? So I mentioned last week, and I know Brent did the week before, that at the end of our study in Psalms, we're going to just spend a little bit of time sharing uh, what our favorite Psalms are. Uh, I asked you last week to, to be prepared to share. Um, so I want to open it up to you. You know, if someone here wants to share one of the Psalms or even a portion of a, of a Psalm, what are, what are some of your favorite verses or favorite Psalms? 